afternoon, everyone. And um, for those who are visiting Ecclesia today, you're welcome. And um, my name is Bertram. I'm just one of the uh, elders here. And it's a wonderful privilege, truly, just being able to, or being called upon rather, and by God's grace being able to stand and share or deliver uh, God's word, messages that God has indeed put and packed into his word. We're continuing this afternoon uh, a series that we've titled The Great Giveaway, really looking at God's gift of salvation in Christ to us from another perspective, looking at God's gift of salvation to us from another perspective, from basically seeing how God determined in his heart to do all these things, give us so many great gifts through the person of Jesus Christ and bringing them to come to pass. And um, so far, we've considered the gift of a great kingdom, Pastor Rob introduced us to that when he introduced us to this series, when he um, led us in that. And last week, um, while, while I rehearsed, I thought, should I say Pastor Mark or Mark? <laughs> Mark will suffice. Another one of the elders here um, took us last week through the gift of a great king. And today, we get to look at the giving of a great gift. And as we open, I want to ask a question, throw this question out to you. What one gift would you like to receive that would forever change your relationship for the better with the one who's given the gift to you? One gift. Says people thinking now, iPhone 5, PlayStation, anything like that. <laughs> I would love you forever. The gift that would, the gift that would make you say, <laughs> I'd love you forever. And your wish is my command. I'll do anything. I'll do anything for you. What gift would that be? You know, sometimes we make attempts to, you know, at buying, still talking about gifts are buying the loyalty or affection of others. I'm all too guilty of that. <laughs> Get them gifts to change their manner towards us. I've, heard a sister, I, I've once heard a sister say during a testimony night, I don't know how many of you know what testimony night is. Some name, fancy name for Christian hen night. Anyway, she's sharing, old school anyway, <laughs> she's sharing about this guy who bought her, uh, you know them old 0956 T-Mobile or one-to-one -one numbers? He bought her a contract, contract phone when she badly needed it. And boy, she attested to how, you know, this kind of like, hmm, this brother is serious. She <laughs> got her thinking and gave him a look in, you know? And they eventually, well, I'm not suggesting that now. <laughs> but... It went some way towards securing her affections for him. 
and accepting his proposal. How about when a gift is given for the honor of the one giving it, even when, it's, when the receiver is not deserving? You know, would that work to win the loyalty or the goodwill of the receiver? What kind of gift would that be? Maybe not among men. <laughs> Maybe if somebody gives me a gift and I'm not deserving of it, Maybe it wouldn't go anywhere at all to change my heart towards them. But you see, we're going to see how indeed God goes out of his way to seek and save the lost. To cleanse us of all filth. Give us a great gift to enable us to remain submitted and loyal to him. To enable us to love him. To enable us really worship God. Do we ever need to give such gifts ourselves? And is that ever an honorable thing to do? And if so, when is it useful to do so? What do we do if, we receive, if we're on the receiving end of such gifts from God? Let's just take a moment to pray. Thank you for this privilege of prayer, Lord. Even as we pray, I I just want to acknowledge and say this, Lord. Many, many do not believe that you are the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and yet very generous in loving kindness and truth. Many don't believe you're the God who keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgives iniquity, who forgives wrong, who forgives sin, and who will yet not leave the guilty unpunished. Many today have lost hope and don't believe in you, God. Yet you will honor your name and you will show yourself strong on behalf of those who place their trust in you. Lord, please, let the things that we speak today tell of your honor, tell of your holy name, and tell of your faithfulness. Let it be known that you will uphold your word and that you will bring salvation even to the wanderer, even to the lost, and to all who will trust in you, who will trust in your holy name today and always. And the church and everyone else say, Amen. Amen. Right. Quick show of hands, raise them high for me, please. If you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, just quick show. Let's see. Raise them high, come on, don't be shy. I'm not going to pop you a quiz or anything. Okay. That's good. Good to know. Um, but today's text is taken from the book, we're taking our text today from the book of Ezekiel. And we'll be looking in a few minutes at Ezekiel chapter 36, reading from verses 24 to 28, reading from 24 to 28. So just put your finger there. Um, You can open your Bibles there, open your phones there, and just get ready to read along with me. But just some background. This guy, Ezekiel, was a prophet in exile. To Israel. 
This guy was called in about the year 593 BC, before Christ. And during the fifth year of one of their kings being, having been taken into exile, uh, King Jehoiakim, the exile begun uh, of this king about 597 BC. Remember, we're counting backwards now. So Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. God strengthens. No doubt this guy needed God's strength to speak to the people of Israel who he was sent to because there were people who were far gone from God. Do these two go together? Israel, gone from God? God's people, away from God? Hmm, I thought they were always God's people. I thought they were the people of God, a nation of God, God's kingdom. Well, Ezekiel, uh, and for those who haven't read the book, let me urge you, encourage you, make some time to read it. Makes very interesting reading because Ezekiel does give graphic descriptions of the people disobeying God and consequently getting God, in my own words, red hot with fury, angry and pouring out his anger on Israel. God had allowed an almost 20-year campaign sustained against Jerusalem of sword from Babylonian troops, famine from the city being besieged, cut off. Just imagine London, no food, no water, no bread in Asda or Tesco's or Sainsbury's, no fuel, no gas, no heating. Think what would result. Pestilence, or if you like in modern day terms, cholera, Ebola, foot and mouth disease. Some of you might, might be old enough to have seen the last incident of that. I mean, Ebola is pretty recent. But ravaging epidemics. And this is all God's fury being in, poured out on these people, by the way. And then deportation for the survivors of all these things. Hold on. We're talking about Israel here. God's own people in their own city being deported? Wait a minute. I mean, here in the UK, you get deported, you get deported, you're a foreigner, taken away back to your country. These guys got deported from their own countries. Think. God's angry, vexed. All right, hold on. I mean, a young Hebrew might have argued, this, this is our own country, you can't take me anywhere. But the way it worked out, resistance would have been both futile and fatal. <coughs> so their kings and their people, it's hard to imagine the queen deported to Fallujah, maybe. It's, it's not even funny. And the prince and all the royal family taken to different parts of the country. So there's no way of them forming any alliance or resistance or anything. 
These are the people that Ezekiel is sent to speak to. So imagine, God strengthens, and he needs that strength to speak to these people while they're in exile. It's interesting when you read um, Ezekiel, I mean, and some of his contemporaries, Daniel, Nehemiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, the other prophets like these, who were also in exile. But it's interesting when you read the book to see God say something that constantly refrained in there. Then you shall know I, that I am the Lord. Many times in the book. The struggle for me reading this book was acknowledging God's holiness and God's sovereignty. These things that happened to these people were things that God had determined he would do because they were simply just doing their own thing. We're God's people, yeah, but we're doing our own thing. It's just like, the struggle for me was just like a, a child struggling with having parents. Does that make sense? Or a husband or wife struggling with having a spouse. Does that make sense? In short, bucking against the one who is there to love, care for, and guard us. We cannot do anything to take away from God's holiness. From, because God doesn't even need to apologize about that. We need God in our lives. God's there not because we want him to be there. God's made us. We're not God. God's God. We're not. But I tell you what, reading through books like Ezekiel, whew, I struggled. Like, what's wrong? And I was asking myself, what is wrong? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I struggling with God making these decisions to take this kind of action against his own people? I see, however, that that was an issue for Israel as well. And even though um, God's righteous judgments in letting all these things happen to them just led them on in the way they wanted to go. They wanted to not have God in their lives. But you see, God is still resolved, determined to rescue these people. He's still determined to, to cleanse them from all things that just come make them, if you like, revolting to him. He uses some very graphic terms in there to describe what they are like to him in their state of rebellion. God is also resolved to refresh and transform them. And then bring them to their, back to their place in his presence. The text we're reading from, I asked us to turn there earlier. Are we all there? Ezekiel 36, verses 24 to 28. Okay. Nose is in Bibles now, or eyes on the phones now. Because I don't have anything up on display. But I'll read from here. For I will take you from the nations. Remember, these are people who are in exile. I'll gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness 
and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give to you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you'll be my people and I will be your God. He resolves to rescue them. He resolves to cleanse them. He resolves to refresh or transform them and resolves to restore them. I hope you're wondering, what's the gift? (laughs) Well, he begins, first of all, to let these guys know, I will rescue you. I will take you from the nations. Just looking at the verses now, 24. I will take you from the nations. They find themselves among different people. Different people. And these people are different in so many regards. Who's God, they might ask? Who is, what do you need a priest for? Why, you, why do you sacrifice bulls? We use pigs here. Things that were not kosher to the Jews. They would have gotten exposed to so many cultures, so many culturally different, different things. These people worshipped gods where they sacrificed even humans to their, uh, to their idols. Not very different from us today. The church. We're in the world. We worship God. I remember one time I, I, when I worked at a job center just having a conversation at lunch. And it was almost like somebody brought around some a la carte menu and said, which God do you choose to worship? Which one do you like? And it was like, I can still remember the conversation. I've tried Buddhism, but it's not really cool for me. I like Feng Shui instead. I, I, I like, you know, it was like, what? We can now decide what God we want to worship and just pick and choose as we fancy what we feel like? Hmm. I suppose then it shouldn't be a surprise to us that you have some religions, one religion where they have at least 300 million gods. Right? Is that Buddhism? 300 million gods in one (coughs) religion. No surprise there. But God will take him from the nations. We find ourselves among, in the world, different kinds of things going on. God will gather them from all the lands. Literally, they had been scattered in various places. Just as a strategy. You guys, you will not be able to put up any resistance at all. Not uncommon again today. I mean, one of my pets, I don't know what to call it, hates or pet peeves is where you see laws coming up that just begin to erode against the so-called freedoms of religion, freedom of worship, freedom of expression. Those things just are there. If you like, can easily be construed to work in such a way that would just 
break down any resolve to follow after God and worship God. Because everyone's free to do what they want. And these guys were among all the lands and all the nations. We find ourselves in this sort of passage, in this, in this sort of situation. And these guys would have been in that sort of situation in um, exile. I mean, the stories of the Hebrew young men, Daniel and his friends, being cornered into worshipping men or idols, are all too familiar. But God says he will take them from the nations, gather them from all the lands, and bring them into their own land. Remember, this is Ezekiel is a prophetic text. God's announcing his intention, what he's going to do, and he will make it happen. In this case, in the case of Israel, they could easily hope for a return to their own country, where they've been deported from. I still find it amusing, but it's serious. Deported from your own land. It would be good news to hear that God says he will bring you back to your own land. Amen, I would say. That's good news. God will bring me back to my own land. So for them, it was a ge- geographical region. But something interesting I, I, I discovered. Let me share that with you um, while reading in Ezekiel. Turn with me, if you like. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16. I'll read it quickly. Ezekiel chapter 11, and verse 16. God says this to Ezekiel. And this is at the time where he first mentions his intention to bring the people back. He says, Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I had removed them far away among the nations and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. It's comforting to know that God speaks of himself as being if you like, a hiding place for the people who are in exile, though they're removed from their own land, though they're removed from their own home. God, for them, is a hiding place where they are, though they're far removed from home. It's comforting to know that for us too, as believers, these people had wandered far from God, and God basically made it apparent, okay, you've wandered far from me in your hearts. I'm going to make it apparent you have really wandered far from me and I'm sending you far away from the land that I call by my name. Yet, God speaks about himself being a sanctuary for them there where they're removed from him. It's comforting to know that even when we wander far away, even spiritually, where we wander in our relationship from God, let me encourage you today, God still holds a place for you. God still holds a place for you, intending for you to return and be with him in his presence. Rather have you there than elsewhere. But what choice do we make? So we see God intending and declaring his his intention to rescue this lot. Now, moving on quickly, verse 25. 
God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. The hearers would easily understand this in that um, there's an account I read of in Numbers chapter 12, Numbers chapter 19, I beg your pardon, from verses 12 to 14. I mean, you can read, of the, you can read there of the priests preparing water to cleanse one who is ceremonially unclean from impurity. So people might have had contact with a dead body or, suffered, or someone suffering disease or leprosy or something that contaminates. And under the old covenant, under the old covenant that God made with Israel, Pastor Rob talked about this um, quite a bit two weeks ago, the people would not be able to come and gather with God's people when they come together. They would not be able to come to the assembly. So, for example, if we were in the old covenant and someone had some uncleanness about them, there were strict ritual observations they had to keep to be able to come here like this. So, for one to be able to come, they had to be clean ceremonially. And God speaks about sprinkling clean water on this lot. And it's important that they will be clean. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to come together in the assembling of God's people. So I've mentioned physical, bodily fluids, foods, contact with leprous persons, the dead, and even the morally unfaithful. These things would disqualify people from coming to God. But it all comes back to God, doesn't it? It all comes back to being able to relate to God. It all comes back to being able to be in God's presence. You know, um, God nevertheless still seeks to rescue and bring back to himself. Do you get the picture of fellowship that God looks to establish with us? Even though we're undeserving? Does while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Sound like that? Is anyone here, well, of the mind, look, leave all this God stuff. It's just you've been brainwashed. None of it makes sense. You're committing yourself to some kind of slavery again. You've checked your brains out at the door. <laughs> God doesn't leave himself without evidence. But that's something, that's a topic for another day. Um, But God resolves all the same to bring this lot, undeserving, who've gotten him really hot under the collar, vexed enough to send them out away from his presence. God's doing everything to bring them back to himself. I mentioned earlier and I struggled with the notion of God's holiness. It just seemed like overkill. God, why are you doing this? These are human beings for goodness sake. They can't obey you. They just can't. It's not possible. You know? It's not possible, humanly speaking. You hear people sometimes make excuses for sin. 
catch them at work and they're like watching some lady go by. And your eyes lock. And you're like, oh, so you saw me looking. Like, yeah, what were you busy doing that for? Say, well, I'm only human now, you know. What do you expect? Or, or like yesterday uh, at um, Marriage Matters. What, what, what's, what, was that? what was that term? Like um, masquerading selfish, selfish things. Or masquerading things we're doing for ourselves as, as, do, as if we're doing things for God. You know, I'm admiring the beauty that God has made. <laughs> Meanwhile, that's just selfishly lost in after. <laughs> but, you see, God, I was saying, we could want to argue and kick against and balk against God's holiness. As though we and God are on the same levels. Like, come on, God, I've got a case. What's your case? To God? <laughs> I've got a case. I, I can't help but look. What's, what's yours? Like, God, what, what's the alternative? <laughs> what, what are we trying to say to God? But there's a tendency in us that God noted very early on in our existence You can have a look in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 and see. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually, continually, you know. Not just it tends to evil and then stop and come, but continually tending towards evil. That's just us. So, you might begin to ask, God, why bother bringing this lot back to yourself? But if we, if we, if we said that, that would include us. We're just consigning ourselves to the scrap heap as well. We would fall in that category too. Quick show of hands. I've never had any evil intentions in my heart. No one. No one. <laughs> but you see, here's what God determines to do, and this is the meat of the matter, where God gives us a great gift. Verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's he talking about? Heart transplant? Or some kind of surgery? Well, two things there. He gives a new heart and removes a heart of stone from your flesh. I mean, stone is hard. Stone and flesh don't go together unless maybe you're Robocop or Bionic Man. Even Robocop had a human heart. (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Or unless God is describing something else. A heart of stone. Hard. Metaphor, really, for stubborn. 
recalcitrant. God, you say, you say stealing is, is, is wrong. I say it's only fair. They stole from me, so I got to steal back. Huh. They, they had this pigeon saying in Nigeria, do me, I do you, God, no vex. <laughs> Did you catch any of that? Do me, I do you. God, no vex. So, you wrong me, I wrong you back, we're even. God, God, that's the account settled as far as God's concerned. It's not like that. What if, what if, you don't get, what if I don't get the chance to do you back? <laughs> Who will judge? That's God's place. He's holy, he's sovereign. That's his place. Well, a heart of stone, God will remove that. Is that humanly possible? Is God just doing some kind of, you know, software update on these humans? Won't they still be essentially human? Well, read the book, please. I've described some of the things that Israel did. Come in the middle of the temple. Here's the Holy of Holies. They back that. And there's men in the, in the sanctuary bowing down, worshipping the sun. There's holy holies, you know. The worship should be in this direction, but they worship somewhere else. The elders in the temple offering sacrifices to idols in the very place where God's prescribed worship to himself. But he will give them a heart of flesh. The opposite. The heart is willing, cooperative. Not forced or coerced into obedience. There are times when I yearn for a heart like that. There are times when I yearn for, hey, a time where I could just really, gladly, willingly, lovingly worship God. Do you? I imagine you do. We all do. It's not just... Israel, who's in exile. We often can find ourselves away from God in exile as well. Far. But yet God, in his resolve to bring us back, guess what he's done? He says he will give a heart of flesh in the place of a heart of stone, and he'll put a new spirit in us. He'll put not just a new spirit, verse 27, what does he say? Let me hear it from you. Verse 27. I will put my spirit. He didn't just go pick a spirit off the shelf from a wide range of spirits in Argus. Super duper spirit. Chrome spirit. Or any other kind of spirit. God's spirit. What? These are people who have just abandoned, turned their hearts away from you and you put your spirit in them? What is this? What is this? I mean, if I get that kind of gift, I'll be like, God, you're just doing my head in. Why are you giving me this gift? Why? I don't deserve it. To the point of by himself. Now in Christ, coming back to fulfill this in our time, or should I say, Onto this age, 
with Christ coming, the king, the great king that we Mark told us about last week, to fulfill everything that we can't fulfill. We can't worship God in our own strength. We can't ordinarily tend towards God. So what are we going to offer? How are we going to pay? If God brings us back to his presence, how will we dwell with him? What will make it possible for us to do that? He says he will put his spirit within us. We see this fulfilled in the person. And we see this fulfilled through Christ where God, having made atonement for us, having cleansed us, even by by Christ being offered for us, this should have mentioned at verse 25, by Christ being offered on the cross for us, and he ascends and then God pours out his spirit. God gives his Holy Spirit. We see this accounted for in the Acts of the Apostles. Men saw on one morning, hey, these guys, what's happening? We hear all these people. Look at them. And I paraphrase, I put it in my own words. We hear Nigerians, Jamaicans, Welsh, all these people speaking in our languages. Oh, they're speaking in, wow, they're speaking in language. These guys, how could they understand? For example, a bunch of Swahili people come in here and they hear all of us speaking Swahili. How could they understand Swahili? Speaking the glories and the wonders of God. God pours out his spirit and enables men to worship him. God gives us his spirit and he says he will put his spirit within you. Will this work? How can man obey God? Well, we see how it is possible even through Jesus Christ. Even through Jesus Christ. Now, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. We may have set ourselves up for a fall if at any time we're determining ourselves to worship God in our own strength. We may have set ourselves up for a fall if at any time we set ourselves rules, regulations, things that we think, yeah, this is presentable, I can bring this to God in worship and find ourselves falling short and failing to meet even our own standard. But what does God do? Um, Please just turn with me to John chapter 3 and verse 5. 
In John chapter 3, we see the account of Jesus and a visit from a guy called Nicodemus coming to him to, if you like, seek verification or seek confirmation whether this guy is for real. Is he from God or not? But he acknowledges and says to Jesus before this moment, Rabbi, let me just quickly turn there. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious person. One of, if you like, the elders of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does this call for anything on our part? God is bringing his people back, into, back to himself and making it possible for them to also come back to him. And gives the gift of a new heart, a heart that is willing, yielded to follow after God. And gives a gift of his own spirit. Can I ask you, how far away from God have we wandered? I resist the temptation to, to, in thinking about this, to just begin to sound like I want to preach a prosperity gospel in saying that coming to God or coming to Jesus will make everything beautiful, everything perfect, everything lovely. As if putting out a carrot there to say this is reason to come to God. But hey, life without God is hard. It is futile. It can seem, oh, it's the bomb. I'm having a great time. Time of my life. I can't think of any right now, but there are many accounts, true accounts of people who have reached there, gotten all they ever dreamed of, and just asked at the end of the day, what's he all about? God is holy. God is sovereign. And the best place we can ever be is in God's presence. The best place we can ever find safety is in God's presence. The best place we can ever find life is in God's presence. I say this to say, Jesus, just citing quickly, says he's come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. We might be having a good time right now, but it's nothing Nothing at all compared to the abundant life that Jesus gives.
that God gives through Jesus Christ as he brings us to himself. See, <clears throat> God gives a gift of a new heart and God's spirit within us. And this is the basis on which even we as um, I don't want to sound pride, pride, was it prideful or pride, I don't want to sound proud, but this is the basis on which people who claim to be Christians can relate to God. It's not a matter of how much church I attend. It's not a matter of how much church people think I am a good person. It's not any of those things. But God enables us to worship him by his spirit. So much so that in a conversation Jesus had with this woman, he said, it was, if you like, it, it, was, it wasn't a debate, but, but a, a discussion with this woman by the well um, near Sychar. She says to Jesus, oh, you Jews, you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people should worship. But our fathers worshipped here on this mountain. And what does Jesus declare? Well, the time is coming. And now is when God will, when, when true worshippers will worship God. God seeks people to worship him in spirit and in truth. It really isn't a matter of how much or how well I think I can do or how much I can give to God. Or how much scripture I know. We need to know these things. God will enable us. But it's a matter of God giving us his spirit. And what's the outcome of that? What, what does that do? What does that do in us receiving this gift of God's spirit, the gift of a new heart? It brings us back to God. The last verse in our, in our passage says, or God says to Israel, you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers, to your forefathers. He will live in the land. For them, it was a physical thing, but also a spiritual thing. It was, if you like, a sign to show that, look, things were well between them and God, being brought back to the land from exile. Things were well. It doesn't matter how far away we may wander or have, or we may have wandered or erred from God. That's something that easily besets us. Scripture acknowledges that. You know, it acknowledges that. Um, in, in Hebrews, where the, where the writer says, um, seeing that we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us leave aside every burden or bulk that slows us down. And sin that so easily clings to us. That's easy, easily done in the world. But let us look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. God is a sanctuary for us. 
God indeed is a sanctuary for us in the world. We may not be in a physical location. Pastor Rob said a bit about that the other day, that he tries so hard not to refer to church as a physical location, but he knows the church is the people of God. So, Christ indeed is a sanctuary for us. God is a sanctuary for us. God, in fact, makes the people who he's called, who he's brought to himself, who he's cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, all those who put their trust in him for that, to be cleansed, God makes those people his dwelling place. Another amazing thing, he makes the church his dwelling place so that together we are in the presence of God as his body. We are in the presence of God as his sanctuary. And he desires to bring us back to himself so that we will be his people and we will be and he will be our God. I make a call this afternoon. A lot of what I've said might be hmm. This stuff is really just flying over my head. But I think we can relate to the experiences that Israel had being far away, being removed from their place of safety being removed from their relationship with God. Scared, terrified, afraid, unprotected. No one to fight their cause. Am I saying God will do all these things for you? Now what I'm saying is, God seeks And has come to save everyone who is lost. Whether you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. Or whether you are a believer and you've wandered away from God's presence. God seeks to save us. And indeed, give us the greatest gift. The greatest gift. I'm tempted to compare them now, but it's all part of the package of salvation. Gives his spirit to us that we may yearn, desire, and call him Father. Even so, drawing close to him that we may be in his presence forevermore. I urge you, I encourage you, if this is all new, or news, and even good news. Let's talk about it afterwards. If you're in a place that's far away, far removed, hey, come, let's talk. But let's cherish this gift of God that he's given us. He enables us to draw close to him. He enables us to remain with him forever by his spirit. Let us pray.
Father, again, the privilege, Lord, the privilege is yours to give that we may call on your name, that we may be in your presence because you are holy, you are totally other, you are separate, quite apart. We're not like you. You're not like us. Yet, you seek us to save us and bring us to yourself. And now we hear the good news in Jesus Christ to make us like our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you seek to save us and indeed keep us in your presence. And you enable us, Lord, rather than follow our natural inclination to buck against anything that suggests you have power, you have authority, you enable us to just see and acknowledge that it's, it's just so true. It's just so evident. It's just so clear. Only we couldn't see it before. So I pray, Lord, is there anyone who's listening, hearing this, whether here or elsewhere, now or later? Lord, make this apparent. Make this truth clear. Make it evident, Lord, that you are holy. You're gracious, you're compassionate, you're loving, showing loving kindness and seeking to save the lost and even blessing and bestowing with your very spirit that we may have fellowship with you always. Thank you, Lord, for this we pray in Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.